Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, from this morning uh, all the way through until Labor Day weekend, uh, each Sunday we're going to read one of the Psalms of Ascents together. Uh, these are a collection of uh, 15 psalms that have been gathered together in uh, the Psalter, uh, Psalms 120 through 134. And uh, we call them the Psalms of Ascent because that's what the, the superscription above each of them says. Each of them says that it is a song of ascents. Now, no one is exactly sure what that means uh, precisely. It could be a musical term or uh, maybe it could be a direction for a choir or some kind of liturgical action. Uh, but it's a very likely and, and commonly held idea that these are psalms that were collected together uh, for pilgrims to sing as they made their way to Jerusalem or once they arrived in Jerusalem for one of the yearly festivals like Passover or Pentecost. So that means these are uh, songs to sing on the road. And there is certainly journey imagery in the one that we're going to read together this morning. Uh, we actually just sang it uh, together, and now we'll listen to it being read. Let me read Psalm 121 for us. It's printed in the order of worship if you want to follow along, or you can just listen as I read Psalm 121. A Song of Ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask that you uh, would use this word, this song, this poem that we have read and heard together. Um, to, to meet us in exactly the places where we find ourselves this morning. Father, would you meet those of us here who are um, hungry and thirsty and ready to hear from you, those of us who aren't and we don't know why, or those of us who aren't because we've been running away. Father, meet those of us who feel strong in faith and those of us who aren't sure that we have faith at all. Meet all of us in this word and show us how much you love us in Jesus and change us by that love. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Well, back in, uh, back in 1992, if you wanted to ask someone out on a date, you usually use the phone to do that. Uh, I mean, you could ask someone out in person if you wanted to, um, but there was ab absolutely no protection if you did that. No cover seemed unnecessarily risky. You could also, uh, I guess, pass a note to someone that said, will you go out with me, check one, yes or no. Um, but most people over nine avoided that. And so there were zero other options. You just used the phone to ask somebody out. And that's what we did. When I uh, asked Allison over there out on our first date, I worked up the nerve and I called her on the phone uh, and she said yes. 
So we just got to tell the story to a couple of you uh, last week. It's fresh in my mind. I thought after that first date uh, that our first date went great and I could not wait to ask Allison out again. Allison, on the other hand, thought that it was not great. And she assumed that I knew that it was not great. And she therefore assumed that I would never call her again. <laughs> and uh, as much as it hurts my pride to say this, she was, uh, she was fine with that. <laughs> but I did call her again. And when she picked up the phone and said hello, it was clear uh, that, I had, uh, that she had been taking a nap. It's clear that my call woke her up. She was super groggy, super disoriented. And maybe you see where this uh, story is going. I'm not even sure she knew what day it was. So I made absolutely no apologies for waking her up. I made absolutely no small talk. I immediately asked her if she would like to go out again on the next weekend. And after a uh, short pause, she sleepily said yes. And several months later, she told me that the only reason she said yes is because she had no idea at all what was happening at the time. <laughs> she said yes because I caught her sleeping, and if she had been awake, and if she had been alert, she would have said no. Well, 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 here we are. <laughs> 27 years and three kids later, I guess you'll think twice before you take another nap. I, I have always been uh, so, so grateful for that sleepy conversation. I mean, really, really grateful. It's like the old movie cliche of the night watchman who nods off at precisely the wrong time just as the bad guys are sneaking up to crack the safe. And of course, the psalm that we just read uh, evokes that image, but it evokes it in precisely the opposite direction. In this song, God is pictured as the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He is the unsleeping keeper. He is ceaselessly vigilant. And that's a compelling image, right? That's the image that we should have of God. A God who is worthy of worship should be that. A God whose the only human response to should be worship should be like that. And that's how God is. But that image is made even more beautiful by the fact that the point being made in this psalm is not that God is unsleepingly vigilant over the goings-on of the universe. The point that's being made in this psalm is not that God is vigilant over the course of history. Of course he is those things. But the point of this psalm is that he is vigilant over you. He's vigilant over you. The God of all things, the maker of heaven and earth, focuses his ceaseless care and his ceaseless attention on you. That's just how he is with those who follow him in faith. He keeps people like us. He keeps us. And folks who believe that, folks who wholeheartedly lean into the truth of that, find a source of comfort and of peace and of help that is durable enough to stand up to the very worst trouble that this broken world can throw at us. And that is, of course, exactly how this psalm begins, looking for something sturdy, looking for something durable, just like that. I lift up my eyes to the hills, from where does my help come? 
Now, it's important to remember that the Psalms are songs, they are poetry, and they should be read as such and appreciated as such. And the opening lines of this Psalm uh, have long been a favorite of God's people. It opens up this Psalm into a vista. That's how it begins. It opens into a vista. The singer is just out there, just out in the open, looking up into the hills. It's the beginning of a journey. And of course, that works in a couple different ways. Sometimes this psalm is called the Traveler's Psalm. And lots and lots of God's people have uh, sung this song or prayed this song as they set out on a journey that seemed to them particularly difficult or treacherous or just unknown to them. Of course, it works like that. But like all good poetry, there's more going on. It's pretty obvious that it doesn't just work for a specific journey, but also for the journey, as in this journey of life that every one of us is on. It is about where we are walking. It is about walking. And this is a theme that is uh, woven deeply throughout Scripture, this notion that our lives are, are pictured and maybe pictured best by walking somewhere or by journeying somewhere. This theme is, is everywhere in Scripture. Our first parents walked with God in the garden. Later on, our, our fathers and mothers in the faith were said to walk with God. Blessing is said to come with those who walk in the wise ways of God and avoid the foolish ways without him. The first Christians were encouraged to walk in ways that are worthy of the calling that they have received. And then, of course, there's Jesus who, when he called people to, into his kingdom, when he called people into repentance and faith, would often just say, Follow me. Walk with me. And that's always been a dear image to me, and I'll be honest, church, it's a helpful one for someone like me. Maybe you can relate. Because it's easy for me to be hung up, it's easy for me to get paralyzed or scared or preoccupied with one particular step in the journey, with one particular step in my life, or maybe to obsess over this one particular step that happened in the past. And so it helps me to think of this metaphor, to take a wider view, to see the general direction of my journey, right? Where I've come from, the way I'm faced, and where this journey will end if I continue to face in that direction. It's helpful. It's easier for me to see God's gracious hand then. <laughs> Let's me breathe. Let's me recognize his providence over the long course of my life. And that is, I think, what this psalm is about, the providence of God. So this, uh, this pilgrim lifts their eyes up to the hills, and taking in the sights, a question comes immediately to mind, from where does my help come? Where am I going to find help? <laughs> and one of the things that I've come to love about this psalm over the years is that no one really knows why the hills inspire this question. Are the hills a menace to this pilgrim? <laughs> making her seek help, or are they a refuge to this pilgrim, a place that she can run to for help? Well, I, I have a soft spot for ambiguity like that, but I know not everybody does. So I can tell you how this could break either way. The hills could be a menace in that the hills are the place where the bad guys hide, ready to pounce on pilgrims, to rough them up, to take their stuff, or worse. The hills could be a menace in that the hills are the place where the high places were, the places where pagan shrines were set up, long a source 
of persistent temptation and allure for God's people, trouble. On the other hand, though, the hills were sometimes a metaphor for God's dwelling place, for the strength of his majesty and his glory. They're a reminder of his creative power. And those could bring welcoming thoughts of help. I don't know why the hills inspired the question, but I do know that the most important thing is the question. From where does my help come? I mean, which of us in here has not asked that question at one point on this long journey of life? Which of us has not said, man, I need a break. Can I catch a break? I need some help. I mean, I promise if you, if you haven't asked that question quite that way at some point in your life yet, which is probably unlikely, I promise you one day will, and I don't mean that as a, a scary threat or anything like that. I mean it as a realist who walks through life. I mean it as your pastor who cares for you. Nobody gets a smooth ride in this world because it's broken. And that's one of the reasons we have this psalm. This psalm presupposes that at some point we're going to need some help. We're going to need some help to get through this thing, and it's going to be help that we don't have in and of ourselves. And wow, there are so many ways that we answer that question, and a lot of the ways that we answer that question are pretty messed up. From where does my help come? John Calvin, the theologian, has a pretty on-the-nose line about how people like us search for the help that we need. He writes that we gaze to a distance all around ourselves and make long and devious circuits in our quest for remedies for troubles, running up and down through torturous mazes. <laughs> Man, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a pretty good description of the ways that I try to distract myself away from trouble or plow through it in some profoundly unhelpful way. I mean, I think we all do this. We all medicate trouble with distractions or with addictions, or we try to medicate it away or plaster over it to some kind of hurtful behavior. We know that this stuff is no real help at all, but the payoff is quick and immediate. And so it's really seductive. You know, I could try to engage in this relationship that's taken a bad turn. I could try to face this trouble that I have made on my own for myself at my work. Or I could just forget about it a little bit with a million hours of some show. Or eating too much or, or drinking too much. We've all got these torturous mazes that we run through. You know, I, I could engage in this worry that I have, this anxiety that I feel over a loved one's diagnosis. I could try to do something helpful with this not-so-great news that I've gotten on my own from the doctor. Or I could compensate for this feeling of being totally out of control by just being angry with everyone and short with them all the time. Or testing everyone all the time to see if they'll stick around. I could do something healthy with this long, festering wound from when I was hurt as a kid. I could try to get some healing and some help, or I could just make everything about me all the time. Torturous mazes, no help at all in the end. 
And you know, church, part of growing up as Christian people, if that's what we want to do, part of growing up as Christian people is taking the time to just look at stuff like that in our lives, you know, just to take a minute and breathe and with the gracious searching help of the Spirit, just look at those fruitless quests for remedies, look at those torturous mazes we've been running through and saying, you know, maybe for the first time ever, yeah, I do that. I absolutely do that. And then with open hands asking, well, where does my help come from? (laughs) How can I get some help? And church, the answer here is as plain and as straightforward and as unambiguous as it could possibly be. The pilgrim looks past the hills to the hill maker. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God is the help, single and necessary and all-sufficient. He is the help. And the rest of the psalm just paints a picture of how that's true. In verses 3 through 8, I don't know if you noticed it, this one word just keeps coming up again and again and again. In the translation we read, it shows up as keep or keeper, but it could just as easily be translated guard or protector. Six times this word shows up, six times in eight lines, over and over again so we get it. God is our keeper. God keeps us. God is our keeper. God will keep you. He will keep your life. So we get it. So we get it. He is the unsleeping keeper. He who keeps you will not slumber. He neither slumbers or sleeps. Listen, church, God God is totally unlike. He is absolutely unlike the CEO of the place where you work. Because that CEO has to use layer after layer of managers to care for you and your stuff. You know what? There are exactly zero layers to cut through to get God's attention. There is no layer at all. His care for you is immediate. And his care for you is direct. And his care for you is ceaselessly unsleeping on your most boring day. (laughs) On the day where you appear to be the most mundane. On the day where your dog won't even respond to you when you say her name. (laughs) On the day where the angels yawn looking at you. On that day, God's attention is fixed on you as if you are the most important thing in the universe. And when you go to sleep, he can't take his eyes off you. And the result of this is that you can be sure that your foot won't be moved. Your journey will reach its end. And in the end, you will be brought safely home because God is our shade. He hovers over pilgrims and he protects us and he sustains us in this journey. And this is the kind of help people like us need. (laughs) This is what we need. And I know that there's a way to hear this, a way to sing this psalm or hear this psalm or hear some preacher preach about it and be a little bit skeptical because we know, right, that we do get burned sometimes. And we know that sometimes our feet do slip. That's just the truth. That's what the journey is like. We know that from life. We know that from other places in Scripture. And so knowing that can maybe make us hear a psalm that sounds this beautiful and this good and be a little skeptical. 
And that's why it's important to hear precisely what this psalm is saying and precisely what the promise is. The promise is not that everything will just start working better and better and better and better and we'll be spared the pain of living in a cracked world. That is not the promise. According to verses 7 and 8, the promise is this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. In other words, if God is our help, church, we will not suffer ultimate loss. Evil may harm us. It likely will harm us, but it will not overcome us. It will not win. And in the end, we will be brought safely home. And we will be brought safely home because his keeping of you and of me is the ultimate truth around which all other truths must bend. And this is the sturdy, durable truth that God's people have leaned into for millennia and that you and I can learn to lean into as well. It stands up to the stiffest trouble that you and I could ever face. And it means that we can dispense with all the tortuous mazes and rest in the life of the keeper who has given us new life and a new way to live, especially when the journey is hard. You know, church, the pilgrims who sang this song first, they sang it and they didn't even know how it was going to work out. They didn't know how God was going to pull this off, but they they sang it anyway. They were happy to sing it. But we can sing it and be even more certain about how God works this out. Because there was a pilgrim who walked this journey ahead of us. There was a pilgrim who walked this journey willingly and happily and in love for us. And that pilgrim fell so that our feet would never be moved. And that pilgrim was struck so that we could have shade. And that pilgrim was overcome by evil for a time so that we could be kept from it forever, so that it could never win. And that pilgrim was raised and seated at the right hand of God so we can be certain that there is a place for us too, a home to which we will one day return. I am sure, St. Paul said of this pilgrim, I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus, Jesus is our keeper, church. Our help comes from him. So follow him, walk with him if you haven't, or come back if, you're, if you've wandered away a little bit, and stay close to him. He's our help. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that we can sing this song with an unbelievable amount of confidence, with hope that is solid and sure, because Jesus has has sung it and walked it before us. We thank you for him. 
We thank you for the way that you have loved us in him. We thank you for the way that he gives us the spirit to walk this journey. Father, help us to be a people who believe this and who live into the truth of this and who face all of the worst stuff with this firmly in our hearts. Father, do this so that we can grow up in the faith, do this so that we can mature, do this so that we can be a people through whom you love this broken world, so that we can be a resource for people in trouble. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.